Good morning. For those of you that are new, I'm Pastor Tom. I'm executive pastor here at Calvary Church. And uh, Pastor David is, and Sherry are on their fall uh, vacation break. And so it's my honor and my, my uh, joy to introduce our speaker this morning. Speaking of fall, did you enjoy the two days that we just experienced? It's over, guys. <laughs> Whew, it's going to be hot today. But uh, fall's coming. We got pumpkin spice. It's okay. We're all good. But uh, it's, it's my joy to introduce uh, a dear brother and friend, a true friend, uh, Daniel Arizari. Daniel has been a part of Calvary now. I believe we've supported him as a missionary to Cuba for the last 15 years. And I've lost track of the number of teams that we've sent, but somewhere between, just trust me, between 15, 20 teams have gone down uh, over the years to build churches in Cuba. And um, dearly love him. Pastor David and I, we, we came down and we've done a couple pastor's conferences and just been blessed um, to be able to be used by God and, and to encourage uh, Cuban pastors. Uh, Danny, would you come on up? Yes. I, uh, I kind of threw him first service by, by putting this picture up. Um, I do like what a lot of you guys do that are on Facebook. I know you don't do it during service, but when you're waiting somewhere and you got a few moments, I was just scrolling the news feed. Um, this was back uh, in 2018, and I ran across Latin American Caribbean uh, Facebook page. It's one of our Assemblies of God Ministries in Latin America. And lo and behold, you know, on your phone, at least for my eyes, I got to like expand things. But I saw this little picture and it took me for just a moment. But before I recognized who the person was, I recognized Jesus in this picture. I recognized a heart of compassion. And I remember saying, man, that looks like Daniel Rosari. And I zoomed that in and no doubt it was our missionary. Somebody had taken that. But I have seen Danny do this time and time again. Danny takes time, the people in Cuban customs that are kind of harassing the teams. He just loves. He loves people wherever he goes, whether he's behind a pulpit or walking down the street and seeing a little old lady. The love of Jesus oozes out of this guy. And I love missions in general. I love missionaries. But there are certain people that come along and impact your life. Um, Jacques Von Bommel, our partner in South Africa, he's challenged me in the area of faith. But Danny has challenged me in the area of loving like Jesus. And I just commend this brother to you. Um, he is a, a wonderful servant of the Lord and a friend to Calvary Church. Love you, brother. Wow. Praise God. Good morning. It's good to be here. Pastor Tom, thank you for those kind words. You really challenged me. I have a lot to live up to now. <laughs> Man, um, there was an evangelist years ago. I was a teenager, and it was one of those, uh, they were, it was in the 80s. They were around doing those strength ministry things, breaking baseball bats and ripping phone books. But I remember this gentleman, I, know he, I, think, I believe last year or this year he went to be with the Lord and he would get up to speak. And even as a teenager, I said, I, I like that. He said before he spoke, Lord, that I may slip away and be unnoticed, but that your name would be glorified. Praise God. I'm just a fellow struggler in the kingdom of God along with you guys, trying to be obedient to what God's called me to do. And I think we all, as Christian and believers, we all strive to do that. And um, this morning before I, I share a thought from the Word of God, I just want to give you a report. But I want to say something, and I say it from the bottom of my heart. And I said it in the last service, and I'm going to say it again because it's very true. This church, I brag about you to a lot of other ministers. And when I'm on teams and I talk about faithful churches and stuff, I always talk about Calvary. And, and I do because not... And I'm not just saying that because I'm here before you, because it's, it's the truth. I don't have any other church that has gone to Cuba consecutively. I believe this is the 18th year, if not, if not 19. 
every single year to bless the church in Cuba. I work with churches from across the United States. There is no other church that has done that. And so I applaud you guys in the name of Jesus and say thank you, Calvary, because whether you've gone to Cuba or not, I know you guys are behind it in prayer, in, in helping raise the resources, in offerings that have come from this church to help so many different churches in Cuba, and you will have your recompense when you step into eternity, whether you know it or not. <laughs> so I just want to, on behalf of myself as a missionary working in Cuba, I just want to say thank you so much. Calvary has made an impact on my life. There's so many individuals, even after the last service, from all the teams that have gone in. And I said, you know, that's something really cool about a church continuing to go into a country and working with the missionary. We've built like just friendships, long-lasting friendships. And not just with the missionary. Pastor Tom has a couple of good pastor friends that he considers dear friends in Cuba. And that's from going on and going and going and helping and crying and laughing together and ministering together. And there's something to be, to be said about being faithful and consistent for, a, for the long haul. And so, Calvary, again, thank you, thank you very, very much. You guys have no idea. You really don't. I, I'm blown away. And I won't even go into the person. I have seen giftings, you know, in servanthood, in, in, in putting, putting your money where your mouth is, where you guys give, literally give of your offerings. And I know you guys do the sales work because I'm always hearing about South Africa. And I hear wonderful things. And I know you guys have done things elsewhere. Um, but even on a personal level, there's so many people in this church with gifts of even generosity that have blessed my family. That only eternity will reveal. And I stand here humble before you, before you guys as a congregation. Love you guys. I really do. So thank you. Sorry. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, if you'd be so kind just to bow your heads right there where you're at, I'd appreciate it. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity that you give me. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus, that's above all names, that you, Holy Spirit, would do what only you can. Would you challenge our hearts? Would you take us to a new level of commitment with you, a renewed commitment there, God, and just speak to us as only you can and so that you could produce in us what you, what you desire in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. I almost forgot. I, I, I need to give you at least a brief report, and I did so in the last um, service. And I will just tell you this about Cuba. Even after all these years, Cuba continues to marvel me in the sense of what God has allowed to happen in spite of all the hardship, in spite of them being isolated in so many ways from the rest of the world. Some things have, in the last seven years, only in the last seven years, if you think about it, we're in the year 2019, there were Cubans finally allowed to travel anywhere they could, as long as they could get a visa to somewhere. Whatever country they could get a visa to go to, they could go. But a lot of people don't give visas to the Cubans because they go and they don't come back. Generally speaking, okay? I mean, there's exceptions, but those are the exceptions. The majority don't come back. So, and, and the countries that they give visas easily to are not the, the most, you know, I, I mean... I don't know how to say this without, you know, I don't want to say it in a bad way, but like, you know, Tajikistan, Pakistan, um, you know, countries that we would consider, well, those are, you need to really be called to go there, you know, and some of the more difficult countries for U.S. citizens to go to are the ones that Cubans can just go to without a visa. <laughs> so, um, but God has used this in spite of all that, because now that I, the, the Cuban church in just the last like five to seven years their, their slogan has changed. And I think I might have mentioned that to you the last time I was here. I was so happy as a missionary after almost 20 years in Cuba to see the church who had been, uh, their, their national slogan was Cuba para Cristo, you know, Cuba for Christ, Cuba for Christ. But then it changed to Cuba for Christ and the nations. Cuba, pa, Cuba para Cristo y las naciones. Now they, they, they understood their role as believers that this message is not just for us to enjoy it at the banqueting table, but some of us have got to get out there and take this message to other places that haven't been reached as well. And I, I, I know it's 
no coincidence. I believe it's a God incidence that they can get visas to some of countries that we would consider like, um, I don't know, difficult countries to go into is where some of the Cubans could go into. And I've always said, well, and the Cubans have told me, hey, if we got to suffer a little bit, we've, we've gone through that. If we got to go without, we go through that a lot. If we got to wait in lines, we wait in lines for everything, you know. If we got to be, you know, have go with rations or outages all the time. The Cubans even had a joke for a while. No, no, we don't have outages. We have onages because it's out so much that once in a while we get an alumbron. <laughs> an onage will come on, you know. In the past, that's not been true in the last 10 years, but we got to pray because now they're, they're going through another difficult time again. But in, in all of that, you know, we've seen the churches continue to steadily grow, just grow, 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 a steady, wonderful percentage of growth, growth, growth in the Western District of, of the Assemblies of God, the way we divide the country now. We have five different districts, all with their, with their district leaders. And the Western District leader said, we're the biggest geographical district, but we have the fewest churches. We have the biggest city, which is Havana. We need to plant 100 churches in the next four years. He said that in 2016, promoted it in 2016. In 2017, they selected 100 couples. And the fourth year is the end of 2019. And not only did they reach their goal, but as of now, and they still have to the end of the year, they have just that one district planted 117 churches in like two years. Praise God. So I say all that to say they are going gangbusters. They're just doing fantastic. And then the other wonderful thing that I mentioned in the last service is, I, you know, I always said, hey, we need to strike while the iron is hot. Maybe because of all the difficulty, maybe because they grew up in a system that systematically taught them in their curriculum and all the schools that are run by the state, literally included in the curriculum, there is no God. And, and then they got to a place where people went through all these hardships, different things in their lives, and they've tried humanism, communism, Marxism, whatever you want to call them, all the other isms that may exist. And now they're saying, you know what, Let's, at least I'm open to hearing about Christianity. And as they systematically do their evangelism effort, they visit on a low month 20, 25,000 homes in a month, and on the high months up to 80,000 doors a month. Now, it's a cooperative effort between like 52 denominations, but they're keeping track as best as they can, and those are the numbers they come up with. But what's mind-boggling is they put a little percentage sign on the, on the Excel sheet, and it says, percentage, no. And I said, what does that mean? Goes, That's the percentage of how many people say no. And over the last decade, it oscillates between 0.4 to 0.6 of a percent. I'm like, did I understand that right? I'm not really good with numbers. Does that mean that 99.4 to 99.6% of the people at the door will listen to the gospel? Is that what you're saying? Say, absolutely. And I'm like, can you imagine that? Man, alive. Think about that. In our context, this doesn't work. We don't like people coming to our door that we don't know. And in some cities, God forbid, you know, you don't just go up to the, and, and then there's a bad reputation, but I'll say, you know, at least in Cuba, it's a different context, different culture, and the people have really accepted it. And in that context, this might sound like a bad thing to you, but it's a good thing. The, the, the assemblies of God make the Jehovah Witness look like rookies. All right? They, have, they are canvassing their entire nation for Christ. It's amazing. So that's my report for you. It's in incredible. Does that mean we stop helping because they're just doing such a one? No. You know, when we started, it's only been recently that we realized through different um, sources of information that, that do their studies that say, well, in, in 99 or so, around 99, Cuba maybe was close to 1% um, of Christian evangelical faith which is, means they were an unreached people group, because that's usually 1% to 3%. But now, some of the leaders of different denominations have told me they think that we're approaching about 8% of the nation. So praise God, we've grown. We're almost getting to the 10% mark. But what does that mean? We still got 92%, you know? So there's still a lot of work to do, but we thank God for the increase, amen? And, and God is doing just a wonderful thing in Cuba. So I just wanted to say that before I started sharing from God's word. So how many of you would make a commitment this week, at least this week, and in a show of hands just to encourage the missionary, but I hope you mean it. Like if you say, hey, as the Holy Spirit reminds me, if he reminds me during my devotional time, I will pray for Cuba this week. Raise your hand. Praise God. Between you, this big group and the last group, that's a lot of people praying for Cuba, Pastor Tom. I'm expecting good things to happen. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. 
one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into, the, in, into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep, in, into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. How many can say amen? Do you know that our God is a calling God? Amen? He called Adam and Eve in the garden after they had sinned. He called Noah to build an ark and preserve his creation from judgment. He called Abram to move to a country he didn't even, hadn't shown him at the time. Just by faith, go out. I'll show you as we go. And then he could become Abraham. Isaac to continue Abraham's lineage through Rebekah. He called Jacob to become Israel and fulfill God's promises to Abraham. Why? Because the God we serve is a calling God. He called Moses to lead his people out of, out of slavery in, in Egypt. And he called Joshua to lead his people into the promised land. He called Gideon to deliver Israel from the oppression of the Midianites. He called the boy Samuel to be the last judge and the first prophet. And he called David to defeat the giant Goliath. Write Psalms and to found his earthly kingdom. He called Solomon to demonstrate God's wisdom and build his temple. Why? Because the God we serve, he is a, God, a calling God. He called Elijah to defeat the prophets of Baal. Elisha to continue and expand the miraculous ministry of Elijah. He called Nehemiah to rebuild the walls and uh, walls around Jerusalem. And he called Esther to preserve his people in the face of the possible extinction. He called Job to demonstrate his patience and faithfulness. All of this because our God is a calling God. He called Jonah to preach repentance. It blows my mind away as a missionary. Right? To a nation of non-Jews whom Jonah hated. He didn't want to do this. And God used them anyways. He didn't. I say out of obedience. Eventual obedience. Not initial obedience. And even then. Because he finally caved in and obeyed. You know. He wanted them punished. And God wanted to save a nation. God called Ezekiel, Hosea, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Malachi to speak for him. He, all this because our God is a calling God. He called John the Baptist from birth to be the forerunner to the Messiah. Mary and Joseph to bear and rear his only begotten son, Simeon and Anna. And that blows me away. That guy said, wow, they're calling all life. They were waiting and waiting to be able to verify and to be the first ones. Really, the first, they were the first ones, even though Mary had gotten the revelation from the angels, but they were the first ones to preach. This is the savior of the world for the Gentiles and the savior of the Jews. Now I can rest in peace. I have seen them with my own eyes. Wow. He called 12 common men to become special disciples called apostles. He called Lazarus to come out of the grave and show his power over death. My, one of my favorite biblical characters and account is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle. He called this man who thought he was doing God a favor and was being obedient and, 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 and honoring the faith that he loved so much, the faith of his parents, the Jewish faith. But yet we know that it's revealed through scripture because of the incredible dramatic encounter he had on the way to Damascus. And then the word of God reveals to us that it was really no surprise because when he says, who art thou, Lord, when he's on his knees on the ground because of what's just happened to him and he's blinded, he knows that he's having a divine experience because a devout 
Pharisee would never use, only use the word Lord. And, and it was too, it was, you know, the, to pronounce Yahweh, God of Israel, in the, in the Pentateuch for them when they, they couldn't pronounce it with their lips, they felt unholy. So in its place, they would use the word Lord, Hudiakon. And so when he said, who art thou, Lord, it's almost like saying, who art thou, God, Yahweh of Israel. He knew it was God, but yet God reveals himself to him as what he kind of knew the struggle was there, but he didn't want to admit it. Yes, it's Jesus. You are right. It is God. It's Jesus. And everything that you've been investing your life in and everything you've been pursuing, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I don't know if I ever shared that in this, is this church, but when I went to Paraguay in 1986, I saw my first group of oxen. I'm a city slicker. I grew up in a concrete jungle. I mean, I know nothing about the country. I, now I know more than way back then, but I, I knew nothing. I mean, in fact, when the Royal Rangers from our church did a chicken project where they gave us all little chicks to take home in the city in our backyard, when those... We got out of that five hens and one rooster. When they started laying eggs, I ain't going to eat that egg. Uh-uh. I'll eat the ones from the store. <laughs> As if they came from somewhere else, you know. But I ain't eating those. I saw that thing eating flies, and I killed salamanders. They went after it, and they're carnivores. I threw chicken out there, and they eat chicken too. Chickens love chicken. I learned that as a kid. <laughs> yeah. So I saw my first pair of oxen. I said, man, those are huge cows. And those people in Paraguay laughed their heads off. Those are, those are not cows, son. Those are, those are oxen. And I saw them with that long stick that's the goad. And when the oxen wants to go to the right, but the driver wants them to go to the left, he uses that sharp stick to do what? He like pokes them like that real hard. Oh, it looks like it hurts. And then until they, ca until they cave. So there was a revelation that there's, there was an internal struggle, struggle in the life of Saul of Tarsus. He knew the Holy Spirit was already dealing with him about what you're doing is wrong. You need to get on the right track. But he wasn't caving in until he, God had to do something so dramatic. The lengths that God will go to call us. Ken, the little bit that I know you, God had to go to some real special lanes to call you, yes or no. He let you, you, let, you were kind of hard-headed. <laughs> He's my buddy, I love him. And you had to go through some major accidents even that blow my mind away if you've never heard some of Ken's testimony. But God will go to the lanes to call us because he is a calling God. When I sit, and I've translated in Cuba for Pastor Tom, his testimony, and for those of you that have not had the privilege, I mean this with all my heart, you need to say, hey, Tom, why don't we have a special night in that nice chapel you guys have in that room I just saw today looks awesome. And say, we're going to have a night where Tom's going to share his testimony. You guys will be blessed. And you're going to be blown away to the lengths that God will go to draw someone to him. I love his testimony. I already told him two days ago, you need to write it in. A, you need to make a little booklet. It's powerful. And it's pretty incredible. And many of you here probably can testify as well of how God called you. To have a relationship with him. We serve a call that a God that still calls. Amen. He is He is a calling God. And I was just thinking the other day. Nineteen eighty-five. I was in Bible college in Santa Cruz, California. And it was missions week, and I was, God was dealing with me. And he was, I was, the Holy Spirit was, he was drawing me and making me interested in, in, in missions. So I started reading more about missions. And on the side note, if you're interested about something, what, what is the Holy Spirit drawing you to read more about, to investigate? And I'm not just talking about full-time ministry, okay? But in my case, it was full-time ministry. I was at a Bible college, and I was preparing, and, and, and then God, missions, missions, and and then the missionaries came and spoke, and I was, I was broken at the altar, crying, and just, God, what do you want to do with me? I don't think I'm called to be a missionary. He just kept dealing with me. My roommates, I, that semester, had three past, pastor's kids as roommates. Can you imagine four pastor's kids in the same room? I know it could be a recipe for chaos normally. But I kid you not, these pastor's kids really loved God. They, they really challenged me in my faith. It was awesome. We didn't even have our own devotionals besides the one we had to do mandatory in the hallway with everybody. And they came to me one night and said, Danny, 
if you hadn't noticed it, maybe you're, you're a little slow, but we all can see that God's calling you to missions. <laughs> so now this is another confirmation, and I, I tried to negotiate with God, Pastor Tom. I had a conversation with God, and I said, well, you know, if the people from this particular cult can have to give two years, then God, I could at least give you a year of my life. Uh, I'm sure God smiled and said, good, at least he's responding to my call. And, you know, and all these years later, here I am, a missionary, you know. So <laughs> you can't negotiate with God. I'll just tell you that right now. But here's a cool thing. When you do respond like Simon did and just listen. <laughs> and I don't know where you're at in your life. And this morning, I, I, I feel like I'm going to do something different that I didn't do in the service. Because... I know some of you that are older are going to look at me and laugh because I know that's kind of how life is, but I'm no spring chicken anymore. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, wow, next year will be 25 years that I've been assigned as a missionary, even though I did two years even before that, but unofficially because I left school and went for two years onto the mission field out of that negotiation I did with God. And my dad allowed it. He said he wasn't happy I was leaving Bible college, but he said, but if it's for missions, my dad was a pastor and he said, I love missions, but you got to make me a promise that you'll come back and finish school. And I said, I will, but I missed two years of school. But God used that to really cement a missionary call in my life that would be with me for the rest of my life. Growing up as a pastor's kid, I've heard Joshua chapter one and you know, be of good cheer, be of courage. I will be with you always. But man, it was different when I got on the plane and I was leaving the United States for the first time in my life for long term. And I heard God say it to me. I was weeping on that plane, but out of joy. Don't worry, my son, I'll be with you everywhere you go. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Wow, that day, it meant like it was awesome. One of the few times that God really spoke to me I'm not saying where everybody else could hear, but it was audible to me. And it meant the world to me. And it all came out of obedience. You know, Simon Peter didn't want to cast the net out because he was, that was his context. He was the fisherman. <laughs> this carpenter doesn't know what he's talking about. We've been fishing all night. I know he's, he's the rabbi. He's doing awesome stuff. He even seen some miracles. You know, he healed my stepmother and doing different things. But when it comes to fishing, I'm the expert. But boy, when he obeyed and he saw the result of his, just his obedience, then he falls to his knees. Wow, I'm a sinner. This is unbelievable what, God, what, what, what Jesus did. Then he understood. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if you would dare to step out in faith, and even though we as Americans, we like to plan, and that's not a bad thing. We plan, and in fact, we need to. Some of us need to plan more than others, and I'm in that group. I'm not the... Tom knows. Tom is like a great administrator. He, he's, by the way, of all the teams, and I've taken hundreds and hundreds of teams. Hey, Tom, I need copies of everybody's passport. Boom, got a notebook, got everybody's passport copied. Whoa, okay. Hey, but you know, hey, we need to make a list of what hotel, like how we're going to room. I got it already. He's, he's got everything. No wonder it's pastor must love him. He's got, he's the most organized pastor I've ever traveled with as far as organization. He's got every, trust me. But you know what? Even though we plan and we try to do things and it's good, but sometimes in that process, we do all the things that we do. We try to, you know, we want to achieve good things. As parents, we want our children to achieve more than we did, which is normal and healthy. But in the process, sometimes, even as Christians, we forget to consult with the one that we have proclaimed as Lord of our life. Where is he involved in the process? And so maybe we need to kind of stop and say, God, I want to do all these things. I want to even do them for your glory, but I want your direction. I, 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 I feel that you're calling me. I, I want to respond to that call. What's my next step? And you know, the age old question, like, but how do you know it's the will of God? I remember going through this in college. How do you know it's the will of God? Look, I just know one thing. If you love God, amen, and you're wanting to do his will and you're serving him, and you're responding to the call that we all have in whatever context God calls us to serve, whether it's in the business world, at the public school, which is a great missionary field here, amen, at a store, retail, I mean, in the academic world, wherever, in the business world, 
God has called all of us to certain things. All of us. None of us. There's no exclusion. Everyone has a call from, from Christ. Amen? And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But if we obey, even though, because he said, look, I know what I'm talking about, or we think we know what we're talking about, right? But see, when it comes to Jesus, he breaks all the normal parameters of what we know. And so he says, but because it's you, I'll do it. But because of that obedience, kind of the same thing with Jonah. When he finally says, okay, I'll, I'll obey, you know, even though I'll do it. Out of that obedience comes out something beautiful. So here I was negotiating with God. I'll give you one year in my life. It ended up being a year and a half, but I missed two years of school. But you know, when I look back, back, it was the most awesome year and a half of my life. It was incredible. I was a translator for a civil engineer for all the churches that were being constructed. Put me in charge of, I was 21, it put me in charge of buying construction materials for these large projects. Church projects and Christian schools. And I felt like, wow, I've arrived. And then, well, I gotta start going to church. And I found a little house church where one of the missionaries was leading it. The church was 10 months old and there was about 113 people. I walked in and missionary Victor Hedman walked up to me and said, oh, so you're like the new MAPS guy. MAPS back then was Mobilization and Placement Service. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry. Thank you so much. Sorry about that, guys. And uh, he said, he looked at me kind of up and down. I know this never happened before or since. Looked at me, went like that. Good. Then you're the youth pastor. And he walked away. What? How many of you guys ever visited a church and then they just proclaimed you the youth pastor? Just like, I've never heard of a, such a thing ever happening to anyone. It happened to me. Yeah, I was a pastor's kid, but I was never the youth leader. I was like in panic mode. And he walked away and he was laughing as he walked away. And then the, there was some youth laughing and there was a guy from Dallas, Oregon. Not the Dallas, Dallas, Oregon, if you know where that's at. And he was laughing. His, his, his name is Tim Burris. And he's laughing. I said, what are you laughing at? You're the assistant youth pastor. So I tried the same thing and it worked. <laughs> Made him the assistant youth pastor. Now let me tell you how awesome it is when you're obedient to God. I had no credentials, no experience, no nothing. I don't know if God spoke to the missionary or what. Because if you think about it, that sounds, it's pretty crazy. That's not the way you want to hire your youth pastor, Pastor Tom. I don't recommend it. But this, this was like a God thing. Because I knew nothing. In fact, I wrote home and told my brothers, we're six kids, send me books on how to have a youth service. I kid you not. And then they wrote me back. Or called me. It was on the phone because back then we didn't have the email. He they called me and said, "Yeah, but what you know? What gr age group? Silly." And I go, uh, "Man, the, age, the youth group here is 13 to 30, as long as you're single." <laughs> That's changed in Latin America for the most part, but not completely yet. But that was the reality. I'm like, so I had 13 youth in all those ranges, like junior high, high school, and college, and even above. And I was like, Lord, what do I do? But you know what? They were all new believers. And they were so hungry for the things of God. So hungry. I mean like passionately hungry. That it didn't matter if I did something for the junior highs. The older kids helped the younger kids. And everybody loved it. They just ate it up. And then I would, I had two Paraguayan girls that we, they were bilingual. So we made them the translators. And I would give them the lesson plans. And they would just translate them to Spanish. And then I would share it. And if it was for college, the college people would try to explain it to the younger kids in a way they could understand, and everybody just ate it up. You know what happened? That church went from like 120, 13 people or so, and in three months, there were 500 people in the church, and the youth group went to like 130 people in three months. Three more months, over 1,000 people, and I had 300 and some people in the youth group. You say, wow, you must have been an awesome youth pastor. I had no idea what I was doing. And I would not recommend what I did for anyone. It would be total chaos and disaster. But I understand as I look back now that it was all because when Jesus said, hey, just go. And I said, okay, God, I'll give you a year. And I was kind of not too sure about it and maybe not even too happy about it. But just like Simon, you know, I threw the net, trusted God, and I saw the glory of God. It was phenomenal. First time I did an evangelism canvas for our, it was when the group was about 105 or so on a Saturday morning hey we haven't evangelized yet let's go evangelize our community all 105 youth every single one showed up every single youth 
These guys were challenging my faith in their new love for Christ. They were new believers. And here's this pastor's kid that grew up. And they were challenging my faith. God knew what he was doing and what he was going to do for them. But he wanted me involved in the process. I just had to step out in faith and respond to God's calling in my life. And I did not share this in the early service. But I'm going to say, in this service, I'm going to do something I have not ever done, I think. But maybe because of my age and the years. And I'm saying, man, we need younger missionaries. I'm going to make a specific call at the end. So if you consider yourself young, so it's up to you. And you feel that you might have a missionary call. I, I would love to pray with you. And I'm going to do that at the end, Tom. I, I want to pray with people. That, because we need, to, we need more missionaries on the field. But what we need to understand, all of us, is that we all have a call. Regardless if you're a missionary going to a foreign country. Or a missionary here at home, in your home, in your work, in your workplace, your school, wherever it may be. What, is, what are Christians called to? All of us, we're all called, but what are we called to? What we're called, Romans 1.6 says, you're called to belong to Christ. You, are, you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus. You're called to be saints, Romans 1.7, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to, to be his holy people. Wow, we're called the holy living Yeah, that's kind of the response I get nowadays. We're called the holy living. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. I know that none of us are perfect, but we need to be striving to live a life. Forget about those around us. We need to be living a life to, in response to our res response to God loving us so much and to want to please him. Amen? And that... You know, stepping out and responding to that call is going to produce things that will blow your mind away. To have fellowship with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with the Son, Jesus. To live in peace. That's what 1 Corinthians 7 says. You were called to live in peace. To be free. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. To have one hope. Encourage one another with these words scripture teaches us. How many of you are waiting for the coming of Jesus? Or have we gotten so comfortable with life? Man, I'm the first one to tell you I love comfort. God knew he had to call me to be a missionary because I don't know, I would have, God help me. He keeps me right where I need to be. Nice and humble. But that doesn't mean I don't love, how many like a nice warm or hot shower? Oh, the majority of you like it cold. Wow. That's a first. Man, alive. You know, when you're on the mission field and sometimes they just have a trickle or it's the hose with just the, the room temperature water. In, in the day when it's hot, that's not so bad. But in the morning or at night, that's when it gets a little uncomfortable. I like it a little warm, you know. Who doesn't like, you know, kind of eating whatever, like when you get, oh, man, I'm in the mood for a hamburger. And get to eat one when you want one. These are simple things of life. When you go into a context where that's not available, I find myself humming every time I come in through immigration in the U.S. I'm glad to be an American where at least I know I'm free. I'm going to go get me a cheeseburger and some french fries and a Coke. I don't know, man. It's psychological. I go get a hamburger, cheese, a cheeseburger, some fries and a Coke. I thank God for those little things like on a constant basis because I'm in a context where you can't have it most of the time. But we need to be reminded of God's grace, his goodness in our life. And we get, I'm getting off, veering off of my message. But man, I, I know we, we all have, you know, we, we're blessed. Sounds like a cliche coming from a missionary, but you, we are blessed. If I brought a Cuban, and he knows this, from Cuba that's never been, and, and has a house church, and he walks near, he, they'd go. And if they sat in the chairs... I'm surprised at all that most of you are awake. <laughs> those chairs are comfortable, man. I've sat. I know you've sat in them. Some of those chairs made out of wood, and they and the, the they do the like the what do you call it? The rest, the rest, the backrest. Sometimes they it's a really shoddy job, you know. Very little money, and maybe they do it themselves. The pastors are not carpenters, and it's in an angle like that, so it like stabs you right in the back. Oh, oh, you, there's no way you can fall asleep. Hallelujah. Plus, with the heat and no air conditioning, and hot and humid weather. Man, alive. <laughs> but 
But you know what? The stuff I get to see is worth it all. I was complaining. So they took me from the revival where the church went to 1,206 months. And the missionary in charge of the supervisor overall, I was a maps worker. He said, we need you, Danny. You're a good translator. You have a pretty decent demeanor. You get along with people. We have this missionary called Dr. R.D. Goodenough. Doesn't speak, speak a word of Spanish. And the last time he was here, two, three years ago, he left a church planet and he planted and he preached every night, seven nights a week for six months under a tent crusade. But the reason why we like having him back is because he actually left a church planted there after those six months. Would you be willing, understanding that he's very difficult not to translate for, but he's kind of caught up in his ways. He's not, he's been a pastor for two churches in the States for 20 years apiece, but he's not very culturally sensitive because he never was a missionary, but now he feels led to plant churches in Latin America. And the last time he was here, in those six months, he went through six translators. There wasn't a, a translator that could last a month with him. They'd quit. They would like, I said, well, you're giving me a heads up. I could certainly do my best, and I'll try, and especially knowing the kids. And, and so we started translating. And now they took me from this great revival in the main capital, and they took us to the outskirts of of right next to the Paraná River that runs off the Amazon River. And it was on the border of Argentina and Paraguay by a place, I believe it was called Posadas. But the, but the name of the town in, in, in Paraguay was called Ayolas. And they had no work there. And they were wanting to start a new work because they were going to build, they were constructing a large dam. And they knew that in the future, that city would grow. And we started from scratch with nobody. And it was totally the opposite from where I just came from, where it was just massive growth very quickly. I mean, it was amazing. We couldn't keep up with the growth. And it was, you know, one thing I was going to tell you, the youth, they were, those youth were so on fire that it, everybody, it was easy because all you had to do was just delegate, delegate, because everybody wanted to do something. Pastor, say amen. Where you just say, you're being bombarded by people saying, Pastor, what can I do? I want to do something. Is that like a good problem or what? It's the only time I've lived. It was, in, it was phenomenal. So now they take me, and now it's mostly indigenous people. And every night, people would get up and say, I just want to thank God because, you know, because uh, the, the, the minister would preach 15 minutes. And then he would minister at the altar for like as long as the Lord wanted to, to heal people. And, and they would, you know, it was mostly back pains, leg pains. But I didn't appreciate the context that they had no pharmacies. They had nothing. They had to depend on God for knee pains or back pains. You know, we don't even go to God first. We just, you know, give me some acetaminophen. The quick release, please. Don't look at me like it's just me. You guys are looking at me serious. You know, and, and, and I need to make this quick. So one night after being there like three weeks preaching every night, seven nights a week, I started complaining, God, I left that awesome revival. And people, I didn't appreciate what God was doing with people would get and testify, oh, my back's good now. And I said, I want to see the blind see. I want to see the lame walk. Hallelujah. I want some miracles. You know, I want some major stuff. God, come on. And I didn't realize, you know, what God was doing just out of obedience of being there. And so I stepped out of my little, it's the only little motel in the city where we stayed, where we lived there for three months. It's like a little U-shape. And there was the gardener, and his name was Sergio. And Sergio, in the last week of that three weeks, he started showing up at the tent. And then you could see he was interested because he was there every night. And when I came, right after complaining to God in my prayer, I come out of the room, and Sergio sees me from across the garden, runs and squeezes me and says, Danny, thank you for coming here from so far away so that I could know Jesus. Boy, I turned around, went back in the room, fell on my knees, and I said, God, forgive me. I'm so blind. I'm concerned about seeing some big, miraculous thing. And I know that God uses miracles, but it's for what? For what purpose? For what? And because he's calling the people to him, and he wants, he wants to draw him to himself for the main miracle, which is the transformation of a life that would humble themselves before the Lord and surrender. I never complained again. Preached 90 days straight and realized that though I complained and stuff, out of obedience, I was able to see the greatest miracle every day. I was seeing lives that were giving their life to God. And that's what it's all about. 
And this morning, God's calling us to a lot of things. He's calling us to have one hope. He's calling us to suffer for doing good. He's calling us out of darkness. These are all scriptural. He's calling us to repay evil with blessing. Wow. What a concept. We need that in our culture more than ever. First Peter 3.9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called. We've all been called to live a Christian life. And in that process, as God challenges us, whether it's to go into full-time ministry or to continue to draw closer and be a better servant of God where we're at by living that Christian life and saying, God, not my will, but thine be done. Here are my plans, but I want to consult with you. Bless them, if you will. If you want to change them, make it clear. Renew my mind like Paul said in Romans. You know, with, how is it going to be renewed? Saturating myself in your word, praying and thinking about it. And then you said that then you will be able to discern between what's good and what's not. It's no magical thing. The recipe was given to us. You got to spend time with God. So young person that's listening to me today, if maybe you're like a Saul of Tarsus, you're getting real prepared and you're on a track and it's a pretty professional, awesome track, but the Holy Spirit's been dealing with you. But you know what? You, you haven't surrendered that to me or I'm calling you to do something else or you've been a Christian for a long time, but you forgot that God's called you to a lot of things every day. Here's the cool part. If you only, even if you, He's God's so patient with us, and I'm the first one to say, thank God he doesn't give up on me, even when I give up on myself. If I'm patient enough to, like, listen and just do it, it's like when Peter threw them there. You're going to see awesome things, but the most awesome thing is not what we await. It's going to be people being drawn to God because of your obedience to him. And that's what I'm here to share this morning. You may be a believer for many years, but lately you've been kind of doing things your own way or you have your agenda and your plan. And this day, Jesus just wants a renewed commitment. Look, I know you're an expert in all these fields, but he is Yahweh. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He knows more than we do. He knows what's best. He knows what's, what things have more eternal value. So I'm gonna ask you to, I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads right there where you're at. And just consider, can you do like, my dad used to say this in Spanish, haga un examen, un auto examen de tu vida. Just kind of examine your own life right now. And you know, be transparent with he who knows everything about us and even knows, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And some of you may be in the best place in your life that you've ever been in. If that's the case, praise God and say, Lord, continue to help me to stay on this track. But if some of you that are within the, can hear the, my voice with this incredible speaker system, right? Are honest with yourselves. You might say today, God, you know, I love you. I really do. But lately I've just been saying that and I've not really consulted with you about all the things that I want to do. And, and I have not, I've not filtered it through you asking your blessing upon this. And even, and even being willing to to take that step of faith and say, God, but if this is not what you want, even as much as I want it, but if it's not you, would you guide me to truth? Would you guide me to what pleases you? Would you guide my life? Would you show me your will? And if that means I have to spend more time with you and, and meditate more on your word so that I can discern what your will is, then, then allow me to be disciplined enough to do it, God. And if you could give that missionary from San Francisco of all places who in many ways is way more unqualified than most everybody here and you could use me you can use anybody if all they would say is Lord I trust you guide my guide my tomorrow guide my aspirations my ambitions, my plans that I have. Would you guide my footsteps? I need you. Heavenly Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you that you are a calling God. Thank you that you called my dad, brought him out of Cuba to the most unlikely place to get to know you in San Francisco, California. 
But while he was there, you dealt with him. I'm glad that he, he surrendered to your call and that is a, as a result of that obedience, I'm here. I get to share your love with other people. Thank you for that privilege. I don't deserve it, God. I believe that there's young people here today, God, that you've been dealing with them for a specific missionary call to another country, which entails a lot of sacrifice in the sense of like surrendering all plans. But I know that you will honor them for there's no one that leaves mother or father or family or home that you will not recompense in the kingdom to come in ways that we can never imagine. And that's not even the reason why we do it, but you make a point of saying, don't worry, I'm watching out for you. The best place we could be, God. And for parents like me, I, with my high school kids, God, I want them just to love you in whatever area you call them. And I would be honored if you called them into ministry. We get so caught up with professionalism that we forget that the highest honor of God is to be called your servant. I pray in the name of Jesus that if there's somebody here that at least is open and says, you know what? I may have a missionary call. I just, I need clarification from God or I'm open or I know I have. Would you honor me? Not that you need to, but to give me the privilege of praying with you. Would you, if you feel like you have a missionary call and you're open to it and you're not sure or you, you're just not sure, but you need prayer about it, would you come to this altar? Even if it's one person, I'm going to be so honored. If somebody here says, you know what, I'm open to missions. I want to maybe be a missionary. Come here. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Thank you. If there's anybody else, this is your chance. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. God will do with you what you can't even imagine. Don't be deceived and thinking, well, I can't. I can't speak well. I still tremble every time I grab a mic after 25, 30 years. It's not my cup of tea. But God is so gracious. He'll do what he needs to do through you if you will just open up your heart. And if you're willing, we serve an awesome God. He likes to take simple things or even people like me that maybe you, if you, that people wouldn't maybe expect much from and, and God does things that even leaves you in awe. But it's all for his honor and glory. So I'm saying that if you're struggling saying, that's not for me, I can't do that, you make an awesome candidate. God wants to do a miracle through you so that he can, so he can have all the honor and glory. And so people could even say, wow, I'm blown away that God could use that person. Awesome. That's the God we serve. Thank you, Jesus.